Thanks so much for joining us today. Our hope and prayer is that God will use this message powerfully in your life and that it'll bring you closer to him. If you'd like more information about our church or if you'd like to hear more messages, you can visit vibechurch.com or download our app. Now get ready to receive a word from the Lord. Hey, listen, I'm excited about today's uh, message series that we're starting, but I, I really am excited to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was driving just a little while ago and thinking, man, all around the world, people are, are going to churches and they're hearing a message about Jesus and the resurrection and people are putting their faith in Christ. And this is an exciting time. And so if you're not much of, uh, uh, of a church attender and this is kind of new to you, we welcome you today. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, I hope I say something that will spark interest in your your mind and your heart and you'll want to come back because today's message is really the beginning of a three-part series that I'm only going to probably stir up more questions for you than answer. But uh, but So I'm kind of like just bringing the suitcase on the stage and just kind of open it a little bit. We're going to unpack it in the next couple of weeks. It's not your typical Easter service or Easter message. I'll just tell you that right now, okay? But I'm not, I don't typically do things normally anyway, so we'll just stick with, with the way we do things around here. But, uh, but I'm excited about the message because I believe God is doing something new, and he wants to do that new thing through us. And, and so uh, in 2010, some of you, maybe some of you, uh, were a part of that original group of people that we uh, started Vive Church with. My wife and I and our kids, we moved back to Columbia, South Carolina with a, with a, a dream in our hearts, with vision in our hearts, with, with, with the leading of the Holy Spirit, and we just felt like God wanted us to start a church, and uh, a new ch- kind of church. And so we came to Columbia, and we started Vive Church, and um, we, you know, in processing through what is this thing going to look like, one of the things, you know, uh, we did was we, we did away with ties, you know, like t- those, these things. So if you wore a tie this morning, that's, that's okay. You're good, but uh, don't wear it next week because you'll be out of place. You're allowed to wear it to Easter. But, but, uh, but we did what we like. We don't want to do that. We want to make it comfortable. We want church to be comfortable. We want people to be able to, to feel like they can just... Just get right out of bed and come. And some of you look like that this morning. And that's okay. We're glad you're here. But, uh, but we also wanted it to be more modern. You know, we, we wanted it to be something that would connect with people. And, and, um, and so, uh, we, you know, we, we put some, some cool lights in. We, put some, some, we had some fog machines going. We had, we had some things happening that were more modern. And we changed our terminology a little bit. And, and so instead of assuming that everybody knew the Bible, I, 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 I kind of operate from the, the premise of um, very few know the Bible stories that I'm talking about. So I don't assume that you know what I'm talking about, so I'm going to explain it to you in a way that you're going to be able to understand. And, and then also, you know, we changed not just our terminology, um, but we ter- changed some of the styles and some of the things that we do. And so, so we just made some changes. And if you're if you if you've kind of stepped back into church in the last couple of years, you're realizing that churches are a little different than when you grew up. When I grew up, right? I mean, they look a little different, they sound a little different. The music is a little better. 
hopefully, right? It is here. Uh, but, you know, the music's better. There's, there's things that are more modern, and, and that's great. That is great. And, and so um, that's what we set out to do. But with all of the improvements, with all of the stuff, all of the lights, all of the, all of the cameras, all the action, all, the, you know, all that stuff, I believe we're still holding on to things that are holding us back. We're holding on to things that are holding us back. Now, now I want to apologize for those who were in our first service because they're probably not here now. But, but uh, you know, I tried to preach 10 pages of notes in 20 minutes, and it just didn't go over well. So, uh, so now, since I've got an hour and a half, I'm going to take my time. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Like, yeah, right, we're leaving. Um, but no, I, I, uh, there's, there's, there's something God has put on my heart. I believe that we are still holding on to things that hold us back. Now, I'm not talking just about Vive Church, that we need to get some different kind of lights and some different kind of music. and some. Di- I'm not talking about that. But I believe we're holding on to some things that are holding us back. And if you're not much of a church person, uh, and maybe you've been disappointed and maybe hurt by church and... and uh, this is a great sermon series, great message series for you. If you're, if you're serious about following Jesus, this is a great series for you because I'm going to simplify what does it mean to follow Jesus. Now, again, I'm going to open up some, some things, and we're going to talk about some things that are going to stir questions. So don't take this message and assume that I said something, okay? Got that? If you want to know what I said, go back and watch the video. But there's some things I'm going to say that are going to explain what I'm saying today too. So, so hang with me. But, but uh, I'm going to simplify. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And then we're going to restore some freedom because, listen, if your version of Christianity doesn't make you feel free, you're doing it the wrong way. You're doing it the wrong way. And so we're going to focus on some things. We're going to focus on really the main thing, the one thing. What matters most to the church? What should matter most to us? Because with all of the new stuff, with all of the cool stuff that churches are doing, and there's some great things, man. If, if you've been in church, you know, you could you just, there's all kinds of great stuff out there, you know, really, really cool, modern things. But with all the coolness, with all the great music, with all the great lights and the production and, and the, just the quality that's coming out of churches today, with all of that, why are people still resisting the church? Why are people still leaving the church? You would think that because we, we became cool, that all of a sudden people will be like, I want to be with the cool kids. I'm going to go to church. And so the churches would just be filled up and people would be flocking back to church. Why is the church so resistible? Why are people still leaving the church? I don't know. If you, maybe you don't pay attention to this stuff as much as I do because I don't have anything else to do during the day. But I study this stuff and I look I, 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 I look at trends and I look and see what's happening, and people are leaving the church. And I'm not talking about, like, as you will do in a little while and go to your car. I'm talking about they're stopping going to church. They're saying, eh, not for me anymore. These are people who grew up in church. And maybe you're one of them. Maybe you've come back and you're like, okay, I'm back. It's Easter. Um, I understand you. I get you. All right? I get it because I think... Most of the things that you resist about church are the things that the church should resist about itself. And you're in the right place. And I'm going to agree with you on a lot of things. Maybe not everything, but I'm going to agree that that there are some things that we should be resisting as the church. And so with all the coolness, with all the newness, with all the stuff, 
people are still leaving church. This is what I want to talk about today. Because Jesus started something. He started something during... At the moment of the resurrection, he inaugurated a new movement. And so I want to talk about that. See, if you're, if you're an outsider looking in, uh, and, you know, let me give you kind of a quick definition of what an outsider would probably view the church as, because I think people do wonder, what do they do in there? What happens in that building, you know? And uh, we're, we're weird probably to a lot of people who've never been in, in here. And when they step in, they say, oh, wow, they got a cafe, oh, well, you know, it's, you know. But, uh, but, but, he, but if you take all that stuff away, what is the church about? What is, what is the church? It's a community of people that follow the teachings of Jesus. He was sent from God to explain God and to clear the path to God. And it's just a, kind of a basic, basic definition. Now, it's amazing to me with, like I said, all of the, the newness and all of the 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 modernization of the church, and I'm all for it. I'm, I'm, I love it. I'm, I'm glad, but, but I'm just amazed that people are still resisting the church. And I believe, I believe that we are on the precipice. We're on the edge of something huge and great when it comes to Christianity. And I don't believe that. I'm not saying that just because I hope for it. And, you know, you can call it a revival, if you've been in church for a while, you, you, that was, you may call it a revival. You can call it another reformation. You can call it a great awakening. Whatever you want to call it, I believe we're on the edge of something great. You say, how do you say that if, if people are leaving the church? Because I believe there's something happening within the church. Because when people leave the church, it's causing the church to open their eyes and say, what's going on? And so they just get more cowbell. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's Saturday Night Live, a long time ago. But anyway, some, some of you think, oh, we just need more lights. We need cooler sets. We need more videos. We need... No. And the church starts to look at itself and say, what is it that we're doing? Why are people resisting the church? And when you look back and you look at what is resistible about us, a lot of the stuff, to be honest with you, we should be resisting as the church. And again, we're going we're gonna to get into some of that. We're going to talk about it we're gonna, you know, in the next couple weeks. And so you don't want to miss. But when you look at the life of Jesus or the teaching of Jesus, the primary teaching of Jesus, he taught love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love God. He said, love one another and love your enemies, right? That was the primary teaching of Jesus. Now, of course, there's more, and we'll, we'll preach on that and talk about it, all of it, at some point, but not this week. But that was his primary teaching. And so when you look at Jesus, what is resistible about that? Not a whole lot, if anything. There's nothing resistible about that. And I don't, I don't believe most people are resisting the church because of Jesus. I don't believe that. I believe it's the things that we've, we, we do, and we'll, we'll get into that. But for, for the first 300 years of church history, when, when the church started, the church was very irresistible. The church was established. I mean, you've got to think about it. Look back. When you read through the New Testament, and we'll get into this summer, we're going to go through the book of Acts, and we're going to talk about, about the, the 
the start of the church, and you look at the church, it was not organized like this. It was not structured like this. It didn't have the resources like this. They didn't have Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. They didn't have all the, all the bells and whistles. The church was established and started and spread throughout the known world by a group of men and women who were very uneducated, who were, who were you know, fishermen, tax collectors, carpenters, who else, you know, what else, you know. But it was started and it was established and it spread throughout the world. It was very irresistible. And when you look at that, you say, what happened? What happened between then and now? You got to look at around the year 325 when Constantine, this is a little history lesson, but Constantine was the, 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 the leader of the Roman Empire at that point, And he was a king. He, he became a Christian. He started following Jesus. And when he started following Jesus, he said, okay, Christianity now is the religion of the Roman Empire, which is, that's, that's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. That, hey, you know, now they have, instead of, you know, not having access to, to resources, now all of a sudden they've got all these resources. But what happened is the church at that point got away from what its purpose was. It was a movement. And then it, what happened is it started to take on some of the old things again. And see... There was an old way of doing things, and it's not, it's, it's, let's, let's refer to it as the temple model. It's not, not necessarily the Jewish temple. It could be in any ancient religion around the world, in Asia and in uh, uh, the Middle East. It could be in any mud hut region of the world. But this temple model of worship was that there was a sacred place. There were sacred texts or oracles or inscriptions, sacred men, always men. And these sacred men would tell their sincere followers or sometimes even scared or superstitious followers how to live, what to do, and if they didn't do that, bad things would happen to them. And that was kind of the temple model. And, and so what happened is the church went from being a movement to embracing that stuff. And we lost our way. See, for the first 300 years, we were, as a church, the church, irresistible. In my lifetime, I've never heard anybody resist church because... Of Jesus, or because of uh, because they dislike Jesus, or because, uh, but but what I've heard a lot of other reasons of why people reject the church is things that the church does, and so I know there's I know there's nuances to that. I get it. I know there, there may be examples. Of like, well, I, I talked to somebody. I get that. We'll we'll get into some of that stuff together. But but for the most part, people have rejected the church. Not because of Jesus, not because of Jesus' teaching, although some of it's tough, let's be honest. But it's because of what we've been doing. And I believe God wants to restore something to the church. See, I, I, I believe that the answer to being irresistible and how, you know, why the church was so irresistible is because it started out as a movement. And I know that because... In Matthew chapter 16, 
Jesus was on his way up to Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. It was two words, Caesarea and Philippi. It was named, basically Philip the Tetrarch uh, uh, named it Caesarea Philippi because he set up worship of Caesar at that point and all of all Roman emperors were worshipped. They were, they were kings, but they were worshipped as gods. And so Jesus was walking up to Caesarea. They were traveling up to Caesarea Philippi. And, and uh, Jesus started asking his disciples. Maybe they asked him this because of where they were. And he understood the, the dynamic of the area and, and all. And he, but he said, hey, who, who, who do men say that I am? Who do they say I am? And so they started, oh, some say you're John the Baptist back from the dead. And some say, well, I, I've heard you were uh, Elijah, the prophet. And, oh, well, hey, I heard you were Jeremiah. And then he said, well, what, what do you say? Who do you say I am? And Peter, one of the disciples, pipes up and says, I think you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it was like, Whoa. Whoa, you're the Messiah, the son of the, not just a good teacher. And, and Jesus stopped him and said, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. But my father in heaven, you just said a mouthful. And he said, you're Peter and, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And in that moment, Jesus was declaring what he was about to do, this new movement, and it would be called the church. Now, we have a slight problem because when the Bible was translated, you realize it wasn't originally in English. They didn't speak English. When it was originally translated, when that statement was originally translated, it was spoken, first of all, when it was spoken, it was spoken in Greek. And when it was translated into English, there was a word that was used out of the German vocabulary and that word was kirche, which is where we get church. And it was the wrong word to be used. See, the Greek word means this. The Greek word means called out ones or uh, gathering. And so what Jesus was saying is he didn't say, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build churches all over the place. I'm going to build buildings all over the place where people are going to come and they're going to worship me. He said, I'm going to build a gathering of people. I'm going to start a movement that is going to change the world. And he declared it that day. And he inaugurated that movement on his resurrection. And we got... we we. We got off track somewhere. Somewhere in the process, we got off track. See, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. He said, I'm going to start something brand new. And the church isn't a building. When we started this, this church, when we started this gathering, this place, this movement in Columbia, I was very adamant that, that we don't call this place the church. This is a building. And it's hard sometimes because I know we get, we're, it's, you know, it's so much ingrained in us that we, we talk so much about coming to church and very little about becoming the church. And we got to get back to what it means to become the church, right? And so this is not the church. This is a building. And that's why I refer to it as an auditorium, a building, 
whatever. Sometimes I'll slip up and I'll call it the church. But, but really, we are the church, right? I say it all the time. Church isn't a place you go. It's, it's a, a group of people. It's us. We are the church. We're the called out ones. We're the people who've responded to Jesus. This is the kind of movement that Jesus was starting and started and was successful at and was irresistible for the first 300 years. Now, the Roman government did resist the church. The religious people did resist the church. And we'll talk about that some more but later. But, but the Roman government resisted the church for this reason. Because the people, the followers of Jesus, referred to Jesus as their king. And that didn't sit well with the Roman government. Because the Roman government said there's one king, and whatever time frame they were in, it was either Caesar or whether it was Nero, but there's a king. And in the Roman government and in, in, in the, the religious system of that day, it was, called, it was called imperial worship or imperial cult, basically. And it was the worship of their emperors. And so they didn't just highly acknowledge them and, and appreciate them, they worshiped them. And so you were take, trying to take the place of Nero or Caesar. And so they faced some opposition because of that. But it wasn't because of what Jesus taught. It wasn't because Jesus said, you need to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It wasn't because Jesus said, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And it wasn't because Jesus said, you need to love your enemies. And the church was irresistible to a world that desperately wanted that and needed that. And I think if ever we are ripe and ready as not just a, a country, but as a, as a world, if we're ever ripe and ready for a new awakening, a new reformation, a new revival... And a restoring of that new movement that Jesus established, I believe it's now. Because our world desperately, desperately needs that message. Desperately needs that message. The church is a movement. It became a movement the, the day Jesus stepped out of that tomb. See, the early church, it was... It began so well because they believed in the resurrected Christ. And that meant they didn't fear death. And they believed that they were supposed to love God, love each other, love their enemies. And Jesus taught that. He taught that. See, in this, in this old way of doing things, this old temple model where there's sacred places and there's sacred men who read from sacred texts and tell people what to believe. This old model is what messes us up. That'll make sense a little more as we go forward. But it messes us up. And in Jesus' new movement, He said, my movement is going to be defined by one verb, one word, and that's love. He said, 
In John chapter 13, verse 35, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must... Verse 34, actually. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. If you love one another. See, love would replace law-keeping. Self-sacrifice would replace animal sacrifice. And the vertical would now be measured by the horizontal. This is so important for us to understand. Because I think we spend so much time as Christians, and this is where we get into some of the trouble that we get in, and the, and the, the chains and the shackles that we put on people, is that you know, we're so focused on the vertical and we keep asking, God, are you okay with me? You're okay with me? And, and we mess up and, God, are you okay with me? You're okay with me? And I'm not making light on sin. Trust me, Jesus makes no, he does not make it light on sin. But we keep focusing on the vertical. And Jesus is saying, I'm good with you. I paid for your sins. You've accepted me. You've trusted me. You're following me. I'm good with you. But we're so focused here because the old temple model, the old temple way is a very selfish way. And I'll unpack that more later. But it's a a selfish way. It's, It's all about this. It's about the vertical. And see, Jesus, when he established this new movement, he said spirituality is not going to be determined by this, but by this. So instead of, God, are you, are you good with me? Are you good with me? He says, I'm good with you. How are you with the people around you? See, we want to measure our spirituality in a vertical way. And so if I memorize scripture, if I follow all the rules, if, I'm, if I get my gold star attendance going to church, if I, you know, all those things are not bad. I shouldn't make it sound like that. They're good. If you weren't here, I wouldn't, I'd be talking to the wall. And you need to memorize scripture. But, but that's how we measure spiritual maturity. Tell me, tell me I'm wrong, right? I mean, come on. This is how. And so I meet people all the time who are really spiritual people. And people will introduce people. Oh, man, you need to meet this person. They're really spiritual. And I'm like, oh, Lord, can't wait to meet them. And so if we, if we know how to quote scripture, if we talk a good talk, that's spiritual maturity. But then we pay no attention to the, the way we treat one another. Listen, Jesus said spiritual maturity is not going to be measured vertical. It's going to be measured horizontal. So if you want to know how you're doing spiritually, look around you. That's a little tougher, isn't it? It's a little tougher because I can get alone with God. I can, I can get alone and away from people. And I can feel really spiritual and I can... Do all the right things. And listen, if that's your personality, I know you kind of like that. But, but, but Jesus is like, uh, it's not measured this way. It's are you loving your neighbor as you love yourself? This is the new movement. See, all that, all, all, all that stuff is replaced with, with now horizontal relationships. I tell you what, the way, this is, if we, if we understand this, that the more you and I work at our horizontal relationships, it affects, in a very positive way, our vertical relationship with God. You know what I'm talking about, because you, if you're doing it, 
you're, the, the better I treat people, the closer I get to God. And so Jesus said, this is, this is how it's going to be measured. This is the movement that, that Jesus established. And this is what I believe God's getting us back to. Because if, if ever the world is ripe and ready for this kind of movement, it's now. Why are people resisting the church? Because the church has become resistible. I know there was a time in our culture where people went to church, but that time is over. And so it's causing us to look at ourselves, hopefully, hopefully it's not just us pastors, but, but look at ourselves and say, what is it about the early church that was so irresistible? It was the message of Jesus. It was his movement that he started. It was something about that. It's not about all the other cool stuff. I like the cool stuff. Don't get me wrong. But I could do without it. Truth be known. See, we measure spiritual growth. We measure our spirituality by not the vertical, but the horizontal. When Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, listen, this message isn't just for you, but this is for everyone who hears these words, reads these words. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Maybe the Beatles had it right. All you need is love. All joking aside. We're not talking about this kumbaya, hold hands around the campfire, you know, kind of fuzzy feeling love. We're not talking, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, love the way you think you should love. Just kind of do your own thing, but just call it love and then everybody will be good. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about maybe, hey, this is the way you've seen it modeled. Just do what you've seen. We're to take our cue from our Heavenly Father. His love isn't loosey-goosey. It's not wishy-washy. It's not sloppy agape. His love was bloody. It was sweaty. It was filled with saliva from the men, the women, the children that spit on Jesus as he marched that cross up the hill. That's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. He says, as I've loved you, now you love one another. There's times it gets gritty, doesn't it? There's times life gets sweaty and bloody and, and nasty. And, and he said, this is the way I want you to love one another. See, we've become a lot of things as a church. Or not, I'm not talking about just five, but, but that's what the church was founded on. That's what this movement is all about. Jesus didn't come to to establish Temple 2.0, or he didn't come to just start some new religion. Absolutely not. He came to start a movement, and he did. And I believe this is where God's bringing us back to. This kind of love. Love that... 
when Jesus stretched out his arms and said, I love you this much, they nailed those hands to the cross. And when he took a stand for you, they drove a spike through his feet into the wood to hold him to that cross. That's the kind of love that God demonstrated for you and me. And that's the kind of love that he says, you know what? That's what I want you to do with one another. That's what I want you to do with one another. And when you get into a pinch, when you get into a question in life of what should I do, you know, I know our natural is to go back to the law and say, well, the law says, and the, and the Jews were very good, the, the, the Israelites were very good about taking the law and finding loopholes for every law. And we do the same thing, right? People come to me all the time. Hey, pastor, do, do, what's the Bible say about this? What's the Bible say about drinking? Is drinking a sin? They just want permission to do something, right? Maybe you're one of them. You're like, oh, God, he's talking about me. What's the Bible say about sex outside of marriage? What's the Bible say about living together with it? And, and you get all these, because we want to find the loopholes. And that's what, that's what the Jews did. That's what the religious leaders, they were great at it. They had 613 laws, and they had a loophole for every one of them. They had a way to get around it. They figured it out. And, and God says, I'm closing all the loopholes. See, love has no loopholes. And so when you get in a jam, and when you get in it, you got a question, and you're like, well, should I do this? Here's the question you should ask. What does love require of me? Boy, that'll stop you in your tracks. What does love require of me? Here's a little jingle for you. You ready? When you're not sure what to say or do, what does love require of you? When you're not sure what to say or do, what does love require of you? That's the question you and I should be asking. It's not, well, what's the Bible say in this, you know? Because there are some things the Bible just doesn't address, right? You know what I'm talking about? You've been looking for those things. But when you ask yourself, what does love require of me? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, that changes the game. See, because Jesus didn't come to establish just another religion, not a a newer version of an old religion. He came to do a brand new thing and to start a brand new movement that would be defined by love, but not the kind of love that you feel comfortable with and you prefer to show, not the kind of love that you've even just seen, but he's talking about this is, this is going to be defined by the love that I demonstrated for you, right? That's the kind of movement that Jesus came to establish. And so when we talk about the church, we're not talking about a building, but we're talking about a group of people who who have been called out of darkness and who have been, who've gone from death to life. Something happened in our lives. See, because we responded to his love. And that's a natural response. God hardwired every human being that when you are loved purely, you respond with love. You know what I'm talking about. Right? You live in the same world I do. When someone shows you love, you might first, you're like, what, what do they want? Not sure about that person. And as you start to realize, man, they're, they're the genuine thing. They're not wanting anything. They're just loving me. All of a sudden, it's like, well, what can I, I want to do something for you. Right? I want to love you. 
It's just, it's hardwired in us. And if ever, if ever, if ever the world needs that, it's now. That's what Jesus established. Can we get back to, to the simplicity? Yes, it's very simple. It's very simple. But don't be mistaken. It's not easy. Do you hear me? It's simple, but it's not easy. Jesus didn't like lift all the restrictions and all that. You're like, okay, everybody just do what you want because we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about that in the next couple weeks. We talk about a new covenant and then we'll talk about a new command. And so it's simple, but it's not easy. But he, he helps us. And see, this vertical relationship, you don't have to keep asking, oh, God, am I okay with you? Am I okay with you? He's like, how are you doing with the people around you? And I'll tell you, if things aren't good with the people around you, you better stop for a moment. Take a look around you and ask yourself, why aren't things going well with the relationships around me? What am I doing? And start to focus on that. And I believe your relationship with God, your vertical relationship, will come alive. It will come alive. Would you stand with me? So what does love require of me? Man, when I think about what Jesus did for me, you can never escape that. That's what my faith, that's what your faith is anchored in, right? Our faith is anchored in the resurrection. If it wasn't for the resurrection, Paul even says this later on in the Bible. He says, if there was no resurrection, then this stuff's of no value, right? It's the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate today. The fact that he demonstrated his love for us. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment this morning and I'm going to close out the service in prayer. But as before I pray with, you know, everyone's, just your heads are bowed and your eyes closed in just a private moment. And I want to pray for you and pray with you if I can. And maybe you're here and, and you're, you know, again, this is kind of, church is kind of new and there's a lot of things that, that have turned you off to church. I get it. Those same things probably turned me off to church as well. So hopefully we'll get it right soon. But there's one thing that you can't get away from, and that's the love of God. That's the love that he demonstrated for you and for me. And, and you say, you know what? I want to love God back. Let's put religion aside. Let's put the, the church as we might even know it aside and, and, and just focus on Jesus and what he did for us. Can we open our hearts to him? And can we respond in love back? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross. And thank you for for taking the humility and the pain and the the stripes and and just the suffering and, and all of that that took place. Thank you for taking it, not for yourself, but for me, for my sin. 
for my husband, for my wife's sin, for my kids' sin, for my parents, for the sins of everybody that I know, all of our sin. God, you took that punishment. You demonstrated your love for me. And so I want to love you back. So I open my heart to you. I open my heart to you. I've got questions. I don't understand everything, but I open my heart to you. And I want that love that you demonstrated to be the same love that motivates me and drives me in the relationships that I have, in my marriage, at work, at school, in home, in my community. I give you my heart. I give you my heart. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us today. We're hoping that this message brought you to life. If you have any prayer requests or if you'd like to connect with our church family, you can email us at info at vivechurch.com or you can fill out the contact card section in our app. We're looking forward to hearing about all the ways that God is moving in your life. And until next time, Go bring somebody to life.